Let's pray. Oh God, that song is such comfort. It's inspiration. There's a, there's a promise there because God, we live in a world that isn't well. We are people who have created lives for ourselves that in many ways are not well. We've created systems and structures and beliefs. We've created governments that are not well because they don't honor you. And God, that line, the winds and the waves don't know your name. The stars, the planets, the animals honor you, God, more than people do so often. So God, forgive us. Forgive us for not giving you your rightful place in the universe that you created. Forgive us, God, for trying to do it on our own, to earn your favor and to make our lives and our world a better place without you, because, God, all we do is make it more of a mess. But our souls can be well with you. So, God, as we look at this last chapter of this book that Paul wrote to Timothy, God, open our hearts and our eyes, our ears and our minds, that we would hear your word for what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So all this stuff up here was here because of the kids' Christmas program yesterday. And if you missed it, I'm sorry. It was awesome. Uh, Yeah, so for all of you that had anything to do with that and the young people here, thank you for that. Uh, And we're leaving it because it's going to fit perfectly. Bethlehem is going to fit perfectly into our message on Christmas Eve. you know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, um, with, with Scripture and biblical preaching, and that's all that we promise to do around here is biblical preaching, right? We, we basically can approach it one of two ways. We can choose to be offended or we can choose to be informed. And the way that we approach it really dictates what it is that we take out of it and who it is that we become. And Paul writes these two letters to Timothy. Timothy is a young man, and and he's just figuring out how to be a pastor. He's got a whole lot of older people that he's trying to lead. And Paul sees so much potential in him. And Paul just wants to help Timothy be the best pastor that he can be to love his his people well. And I think most men and women that get into ministry get into ministry with that purpose. And so this letter is a letter for all of us. And as we wrap it up, there's, there's two parts to it, the first letter and the second letter. The last couple chapters of the second letter are tough. They're easy ones to be offended by, but they're important ones instead of being offended to be informed. And I think at the end of chapter 3, we left off with a couple of verses that I want to start with that are so important. Paul says all Scripture, and this is interesting because he's really talking about Old Testament Scripture, because Paul is writing so much of the New Testament during his life, and, and other than a few letters, it hadn't even circulated. All Scripture, the Bible that we have, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us, what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, not the lives of other people. To teach us what is wrong in our lives. And that's the hard part about reading the Bible for what it really says. Is sometimes we don't always like the way that we look in the light of the words of Scripture. But it can help us, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Paul is telling Timothy, it's not going to be an easy road. Being a Christian isn't easy, and being a leader of believers isn't easy. 
But you know what? When you lean on God's Word, when you dig into God's Word, God's Word is fully sufficient. It will do everything that God requires it to do. It is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and useful to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. These words to Timothy are words to us as well. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to chapter 4, and let's dive on in. So Paul is in prison. At the end of the chapter here, he's going to beg Timothy to come and visit him. It never happens. It doesn't happen because there just isn't time. Timothy doesn't have a chance to make the journey. And Paul ends up being martyred for his faith. But they don't know that's going to happen yet. Chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly urge you. I sincerely urge you. It is with all sincerity, Paul is writing. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. What a power-packed opening sentence for this chapter. I urge you, this is for all of us, in the presence of God. All of us live our lives in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. They don't get to see the parts of our life that we want to show them. The impressive part, the, the greatest hits, real. They see everything that we think and say and do. And Paul's reminding Timothy of that. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead. Jesus is going to come back and judge every single one of us. Those who have died prior to his return and those who are alive when he returns. It's Jesus' second coming. That's what we're all waiting for. And some of the stuff that we're going through in life right now, when Paul's talking about what people are going to be like, we have to hold ourselves in that light and say, I don't want to be one of those people as a Christian. I don't want Jesus to return and find me living like one of them. But he's also making it clear that Jesus, Jesus is the one that judges. We're not. Jesus, Jesus judges people. Jesus is alone, alone is the one that God puts in the seat of judgment. And that will happen when he returns. When he comes to set up his kingdom. So he encourages Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared. That's different for all of us, but it's also the same for all of us. Some people just can't wait to go out and tell people about Jesus. And there's others that are like, oh man, if I've got to talk, I just don't like talking to people about that stuff. Somewhere on that spectrum is all of us. But we're supposed to be prepared. What does it mean that we should be ready? We should have some understanding of, of who God says that He is in Scripture. It doesn't mean you have to have the Bible memorized. There are amazing Christians who do incredibly good things for the kingdom of God who don't have a whole lot of Scripture memorized. And then there's people who've got the whole Bible memorized who really don't do much good at all. So what is it to be ready? Well, it's different for all of us. We have to have a knowledge, but more important than that, we have to have a willingness. To be prepared is to say, God, I'm ready. Who are you going to send? Who are you going to have talk to him? Who do you want to talk to her? Man, I don't really like him. I don't want him to go to heaven. I don't want to be there forever with him. But you know what? Jesus does. So we have to be prepared. We have to be willing. And that's not an easy thing to do. <clears throat> whether the time is favorable or not, whether it's convenient or whether it's difficult, we have to be obedient. He says patiently, correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Good teaching is good teaching that comes out of the Bible. Good teaching isn't what comes out of a loud voice's personal opinion. And in our world, we've got to know the Bible well enough to be able to separate those things out. That's why we've got so many different types and sorts and names within the Christian church, because all along throughout the last 2,000 years, different people have come along and said, we know how to get it right. 
And so we've got to be able to know the Bible and understand what's good teaching. But what he says is patiently. So if someone is not doing what we should be doing, not living the way we should be living as Christians, patiently, kindly, in a godly way, gently, with grace and respect is what he's getting at. Not shame, not judgment, not embarrassment. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. That's for all of us. All of us who are working out our salvation, who are trying to understand what it means to live as Christians, we need people around us that help us along the road. For a time is coming, and I would add, it looks like everything in our world is pointing to this, a time is coming, and I would say it looks like it's now here. Talking about end times, it it seems that we're getting awfully close. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. People don't want to listen to sound and wholesome teaching all the time. The Bible is sound and wholesome teaching. It is God's Word for us. What we want to hear is what we want to hear. We want to hear people who agree with us. That's why we've got such vastly different political parties. That's why we've got such incredibly different ideas on what's right for people and what's wrong for people and where the money should go and who should get the attention and what's okay and what's not okay and what should be a law and what shouldn't be a law between politics and social agendas and corruption and deception. People no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. It's why it's so important that our young people get a foundation in the Christian faith the way God reveals it to us in the Bible. You want to be encouraged sometime? You can just stop in. I can, I can speak for the leaders here. Just stop in on a Wednesday night to anywhere that we've got young people who are gathering on Wednesday to learn about Jesus. You will be amazed at the willingness and the readiness and the preparation those adult leaders have to help those kids understand who Jesus is and how much He loves them. You want to be encouraged about what it looks like when it's done well? Come and be a part of Wednesday night ministry sometime. But talking about these people that no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Want to hear, not need to hear. And those teachers will be out there and they will be so ready to provide what people want to hear because there are ways to make money on it. See, sometimes we look for things that endorse what we already believe rather than to read read God's Word and trust what we should believe. And we get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble when we do that. It's why there's so many spiritualities, so many religions, so many things that are out there. But there will always be teachers who are willing to profit off their deception and their lies. Because people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. We don't want to be those people. We want to be people that hear God's truth. They will reject the truth... And they'll chase after myth. Other religions, other spiritualities, other conspiracies. One of the things I get a lot is people say, do you believe in aliens? I think it's a trick question, actually. As though somehow it removes God from the equation. And I've been asked it enough times that I've come up with an answer now. So if you ask me, you're going to get some version of this. Pastor Steve, do you believe in aliens? Because they're not in the Bible. I don't know if they are or not. We don't recognize them. That's not really the point. Here's the deal. Whether they've been around for a thousand years or a hundred thousand years, God created them. Because God created everything that exists. People want to chase after these things that catch our fancy. Rather than chase after God who reveals himself to us in his word. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. 
Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Paul, who has suffered more than anybody else in the church for his faith, is writing to Timothy, who's just getting started, who probably hasn't suffered, but he's had some people who have stand up and maybe said some difficult things to him. Keep a clear mind. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. See, Paul acknowledges that sharing Jesus with other people isn't easy. It, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. We have to work at it. But Paul says, work at sharing the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Have you ever asked what your ministry is? Have you ever asked what ministry God has given you in your place, in your life, with your work and your education and your family and your situation? We had a team that went to the Philippines on a mission trip and they came back and they were fascinated because the people there asked them one question. As they got to know them, you know, around here, what do we say? We get to know someone for the first time. Well, what's your name? Where are you from? Are you Norwegian? A little judgy right there for some people, right? And then, guys, what's the next question we ask someone? What do you do? What do you do for a living? Because then we can just kind of get off into other stuff. Do you know what they ask in the Philippines? What's your ministry? If you're here on a mission trip as a Christian and you belong to a church, you must have a ministry. What's your ministry? Every single one of us has a ministry. Paul is writing to Timothy, but the fact of the matter is these words are for us today every bit as much as they are for Timothy. Carry out the ministry that God has given to you. Do you know what your ministry is? For some of our folks, it's leading our youngest children on Wednesday nights while other people go, I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle those four-year-olds. And yet for some people, they are called and they are so good at it. And then there's other people that say, I want to do ministry. I want to, I want to help lead our teenagers. And there's other people go, no way, couldn't handle that. But you go on a Wednesday night and it's absolutely incredible. What is your ministry? What is the ministry that God has called you to in your life at this time? What is your ministry within the Open Door Christian Church if this is your home? If this church is your church, if this family is your family, what is your ministry and are you living it out? Fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Then Paul starts turning it on himself and he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. What Paul is saying, and he begins to take kind of a dark tone here, he said, my time is coming to an end. I've poured myself out in ministry for as many people as I can. I've been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He hasn't been told that, but he can feel that. And it turns out that he's correct. And then he says this incredible line that so many people have used in so many different ways. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Don't you want them to be able to say that to you after you've gone home to meet Jesus? That you fought the good fight? You finished the race and you remained faithful? Doesn't say you remain perfect. Doesn't say you remain sinless. And he says, and now the prize awaits me. It's the same prize he's encouraging Timothy to chase after. Faithfulness in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. It's the same prize that you and I are living for. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Paul knows that one day he will wear that crown. He will share it with Jesus because of his faithfulness, faithfulness in proclaiming the good news of Jesus and carrying out his ministry. And he's encouraging Timothy and all of us to do the same because he says the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing, all who will follow Jesus' teaching. 
Here's the thing. The day of Jesus' return is growing near. And we just look forward to how awesome that's going to be when we get to celebrate eternity in heaven. But if we read all of the Bible to the end, we realize it's going to be a bumpy road till we get there. It's not going to be easy. And this part about, about Paul saying, you know, people don't listen to sound teaching. They don't want to hear what's right. They want to hear what they want to hear. And it sounds like it's so condemning. It isn't condemning. It's honest. And the more the world continues to go the way that it's going, the Bible talks there's an Antichrist that's going to be coming and draw a lot of people away. He's not going to be Christ. He's going to be the opposite of Christ. And if we don't know the Bible, if we don't understand our faith, if we don't know what's right or wrong, we will fall by the wayside and be deceived. Paul doesn't want that to happen to Timothy, and he doesn't want it to happen to us. Then he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Remember, we started this, and Paul sees Timothy as a son in the faith. He, He talks about him that way. And Paul's lonely. He's in prison. He doesn't have a whole lot of of people around him. It's almost like he's going to go into a part where he says, I did this all during my life and everybody forgot about me. Please come as soon as you can. Damas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone on to Thessalonica. Uh, That was a guy that was in ministry and decided the things of the world were a lot more interesting and Thessalonica was a lot more beautiful place and so I'm going to forget what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to go do what I want to do. True of some people. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And then he he has this thing, and I think it's so interesting. Only Luke is with me. The writer of the book of Acts, who it seems has, has been right there with Paul for so much of this part of Paul's life. Only Luke is with me. You know, if if I was coming to the end of my life, and all that I had to say was, well, only Luke was with me. That's a pretty good way to end. But Paul is discouraged. As much as he's confident and he's looking to Jesus, it's only Luke. He says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he'll be helpful to me in my ministry. Paul is in prison. He's in chains. He knows he's going to die soon. And he still is thinking ministry. He's still thinking about how to get the good news. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. But when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Because it's cold at night. And the only things that he has are what people bring to him. Also bring my books, and especially my papers. It translates better as parchments. Please bring the things that I I miss reading. Please bring those things. That's what matters to him. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. We're not sure who this Alexander is. There's a few of them uh, that come in the book of Acts and that we read about in the New Testament, but he's not specific with this one. But he says, he did me much harm. But the Lord will judge him for what he's done. We're thinking maybe he led a revolt against Paul because he had been a Jewish man, possibly. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything that we said. The reason we don't know is because Paul never makes it more specific. There's, there's that time when Paul was fighting the church back home, and he wanted to just proclaim Jesus, and they wanted to make sure that, that he followed the law. And it's possible that this guy got caught up in that squabble. And as much as he's hurt Paul, he says the Lord will judge him for what he's done. But be careful of him, for he fought against everything that we said. What is your response when someone does you wrong? What is your response when when you did everything you could to do right by them? When, When Whether it was time or money or care or prayer or whatever it was, you did everything you could for them and they still did wrong for you. Paul remembers this guy. 
He's got nothing to do but to sit in prison and remember back on his life. And he said, he did me much harm, but what do you do? I often get asked, why don't you fight back more? We hear what people say. We hear what they talk about. Why don't you fight back more? You know, because the Bible says that the vengeance is God's. Payback and judgment and wrath are all God's. I had an interesting thing happen this week, and I'm going to share it with you because it, it uh, is a part of our capital campaign. I was talking to someone who knows better. And uh, they made the comment that, uh, just how much do you need? How much do you need? And I said, I don't understand what you mean. Well, you still got this, right? And I said, what are you talking about? He's referring to our North 40 campus. I said, yeah, our youth ministry happens there. Recovery church happens there. We've got Bible studies that happens there. It's right next to the school. That's a really, that's a really great piece of property for us. And you've got the office downtown. I said, yeah, we do. We don't have office space anywhere else. Well, then you've got that whole big chunk of land you bought out of the Decision Hills. And I said, yeah. And the reason he was asking was, of course, the rumor that he had heard is that Deidre and I own it all. And I did that. And I thought, I can either just let it slide, I can fight back, or I can just set the record straight. And I said, you know, I've heard that one too. I've pretty much heard everything everybody said about me over the years here. And I realized when you come to town as a pastor starting a church that some people never wanted to see started, it's not going to be an easy road. But think about the logic to what you're saying. See, his thing was, you guys have done all this, and then you're charging the church an exorbitant amount of rent, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, hold on a minute. Everything that that church has is a gift of God's that's owned by the church. And I said, I don't want to argue with you because there's really no argument. There's just right and wrong. There's truth and not truth. And the truth is, the Open Door Christian Church, the entity that is the Open Door Christian Church, owns those properties. And the Open Door Christian Church is doing ministry that God has called us to in all of them. And we ended with his look on his face a little bit squirreled up because I'm not sure he entirely believed me. But when people attack you, when people say things that aren't true, when people do things that are wrong to you, what do you do? Do you feel that you have a need to exact judgment or revenge on them? Or do you say, you know what, God's going to sort all that out. Paul makes our clear what our response should be. That God will take care of that. God will take care of that. He will judge him for what he's done. So if you're wondering and if you've heard that one, Deidre and I don't own the Open Door Christian Church property for the record. That's an important one. Never did, never will. The entity that is the Open Door Christian Church owns it all. I told him, and he didn't believe this, I said, my signature isn't worth anything. I can't even sign a check at that church. Did you know that? From the beginning, that's been the case. And he kind of looked at me like, I'm not sure who you are all of a sudden. Paul says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. We're hearing a guy looking back on his life and feeling very alone. No one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. If you remember back to 2 Kings, Elijah said the same thing. I alone, I'm the only prophet that's left. Sometimes, apparently, when ministry comes to an end, there's a feeling of desolation and, and aloneness. May it not be counted against them. And here's Paul's gracious heart. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. Paul, this man who was raised and trained and was a brilliant scholar in the Jewish faith, who Jesus encounters and suddenly takes all of that education and all of that passion and directs it to one thing, and that is sharing the good news of Jesus with people who were not Jewish. And because of him, in large part, you and I are here today. He rescued me from certain death, more than once, I'd add. 
Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me to say, bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever. In the end, what is it that you want? Do you want a safe and comfortable life where everybody loves you or do you want an eternal life with Jesus? Because Paul is making clear to Timothy, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be persecuted. Embrace it. You're going to be challenged and hated and, and, and you're going to be treated poorly, Timothy. Embrace it. It's all a part of this thing that we call sharing the good news. So do you want a comfortable life or do you want eternal life? Then he says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, a couple, primarily the woman who have been so significant in shaping and funding his ministry, and those living in the house of Onesiphorus. We talked about him earlier in Acts as well. Erastus stayed at Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. You want to be the person who's glad you don't have to read this passage in front of the church someday. Do your best to get here before winter. It's interesting, given the part of the world that he's in, he's concerned about winter on a day that's 16 degrees or whatever it is. If only he knew. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings, and so do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. Suddenly he's remembering all of those people who are there supporting Timothy that were also there to support Paul. And he ends with this. May the Lord be with your spirit and may his grace be with all of you. Paul's last words to the young man he loved so much named Timothy. May the Lord be with you in your spirit. And may his grace be with all of you. What a beautiful end to this heartfelt letter. What a beautiful end to us going forward. Next week, we're going to continue in a little bit of a different way. We're one week from Christmas. We're going to do a heart check. After this letter and this challenging words from Paul to Timothy, we're going to do a heart check. And, and, and the message is just simply going to be about what's the state of your heart. Where are you as you are one week away from welcoming the birth of the baby Jesus? If you want, go back and read these last couple chapters of 2 Timothy 3 and 4. Read them and take a look at those words and say, is that talking about me? Is Paul describing my attitude? Is Paul describing how I live? Or can I safely say that that's not me at all? Because maybe, maybe if you're willing to do a little bit of a heart check, Maybe Christmas will mean a little bit more this year when you realize that God sent Jesus as a baby to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let's pray. God, thank you for this letter. Thank you for Paul. God, thank you for the phenomenal life he lived, the, the, the credentials that that man brought to the table. Trained as a rabbi under the greatest rabbi in Jerusalem who, who was so passionate about his faith who was so well-educated and knowledgeable. And God, he was willing to do anything that he felt was right to preserve and to protect the faith that he grew up in. And then, God, you met him one day on a, on a road, and it changed him forever, but it didn't completely replace his passion because his passion stayed intact. He just redirected it towards you and towards Jesus. And God, I think that would be the the real message behind these letters from Paul, that we direct all of our interests, all of our passions, all of our energies, all of our finances to the one thing that's eternal. That's you. That's life with you. Let these words from Paul be an encouragement to us. Let them be an education to us and let them be a moment of reflection for us. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for young Timothy. Thank you most of all for Jesus. Thank you for his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection that we might have hope and have the certainty of an eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
not next week, but in two weeks, uh, it is Christmas Eve day, and that's a Sunday. And so we're having one Christmas Eve service at 10.30, which is a normal church time here. We're having one at 1.30 in the afternoon and one at 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, if you have folks that you know who do not have a church home, who don't have anywhere to celebrate Christmas, we've got these cards back there. Uh, we've got them up here in the prayer corners, which there are folks at, lines forming immediately for prayer. Um, invite you forward for that. You can take one, you can take five, however many folks you want to invite to Christmas. Grab one of these. It's a real easy way to make the introduction, give them the information, address, and times. Thanks for coming, everybody. we got one more song before we go.